This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our weekly The Illinois live streaming podcast. I'm Patrick Fingston coming to you pre-taped kind of a little bit from Springfield this afternoon as we are in Springfield for the end of the lame duck session last night and inauguration of the new General Assembly today on Wednesday. Uh, so uh, we're not in our usual digs and uh, if lighting or anything like that is a little off. Well, sorry. Uh, we are uh, obviously uh, keeping eyes on on the new General Assembly, two new Republican leaders, Tony McComey in the House, John Curran in the Senate, uh, the Speaker in the Senate President also, of course, will, will keep their jobs uh, as a whole crop of new lawmakers comes in uh, today uh, after redistricting and uh, new Democratic majorities, uh, largest Democratic majority ever in the House, and uh, Democrats continue to keep their supermajority in the Senate uh, as well uh, as they're sworn in today. Uh, the the big story at the end of the uh, lame duck session last night was uh, not only the passage of an assault weapons ban, uh, but the almost immediate signature uh, on the bill by the governor last night. Uh, because the bill has an immediate effective date, uh, Democrats didn't waste their time. They didn't waste any time getting the, the bill signed into law. And an assault weapons ban is in effect today in the state of Illinois. Uh, why did this happen? Uh, it was clearly in response to Highland Park, the July 4th uh, shooting in in that suburban community where seven people were killed and, and uh, a 21-year-old who uh, clearly had no business uh, with a gun, probably shouldn't have had a FOID card, uh, was able to purchase an AR-15 style rifle and, and opened fire on, on a, on a, on a crowd. And, and Governor Pritzker said last night, signing the bill that, that that was the motivation behind, behind this gun ban. Seven families lost loved ones. A two-year-old child was left parentless. 36 people were injured. All because our state and our nation has been held hostage by the NRA and their allies time and time again. After nearly every mass shooting, we've seen efforts to ban dangerous weapons thwarted, and then leaders send their thoughts and prayers while they throw their hands up, resigning themselves to the idea that gun violence is a sacrifice that Americans must accept. But it doesn't have to be that way. So that's the governor last night uh, signing the bill. Uh, the shot at the NRA was was very clearly one of those subtle things that he's been doing to help himself on a national stage. If he were to uh, get engaged in in a, a presidential campaign, we'll talk to uh, Todd Vandermeid here in a few minutes. He's a, a, a former NRA lobbyist uh, in the state of Illinois who is uh, one of the uh, leading gun rights advocates in the state. He's obviously, as you can imagine, not happy uh, about this bill. And and he and a whole bunch of Republican lawmakers said uh, 
said last night that, that they aren't going to comply with this bill, specifically the provision that, that requires serial numbers of existing AR-15 style rifles, semi-automatic rifles, to be uh, to be documented and tied to your FOID card, essentially. Uh, here's how the governor responded to those threats of noncompliance. Well, you don't get to choose which laws you comply with in the state of Illinois. Let's be clear. The fact, the fact is that, yes, there are, of course, people who are trying to politically grandstand, uh, who want to make a name for themselves by claiming that they will not comply. But the reality is that the state police is responsible for enforcement, as are all law enforcement all across this state. And they will, in fact, do their job or they won't be in their job. Our friend Bob Morgan from uh, Deerfield was the, the sponsor of, of the legislation. So we'll have him on in the next few weeks to kind of uh, recap where they're coming from, what they, they intend with this bill and, and, and why uh, they think it's the, the right way to go. We did talk to him on this show a couple of months ago. It's obviously a controversial topic and, and there are millions of gun owners in this state. So we, uh, we thought we would check in with uh, Todd Vandermeid. Uh, who's a, a longtime gun lobbyist and 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 really kind of one of the policy experts in, in this country or in this state and uh, see his thoughts after the, the bill was passed. So as you saw, the governor signed the assault weapons ban into law last night. It has an immediate effective date. So it's in effect now uh, from from the opposition side. Uh, we bring in Todd Vandermeid. He's a longtime uh, NRA lobbyist, gun rights advocate in the state. Um, Todd, I, I know you, you've obviously been opposed to this bill from the start, this idea from the start. You, you've argued to me previously that it's unconstitutional. Let's start there. Why? Well, in 2008, Heller said that, uh, you know, modern firearms are protected. They sat there and said that in common use firearms are protected. It's not Todd saying it, it's the court saying it. And as much as Pizza the Hut and his cohorts want to sit there and stamp their feet and pout. That's what the court said. I, I, we can leave the personal stuff out of out, okay. out of it. I think, but I mean, let's 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 at least and you you and I go way back. You know that I'm a farm kid that grew up with 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 guns in a cabinet, but also don't understand the need with for an AR-15. But but let's. Let's let's look at this from from their perspective, from Bob Morgan's perspective, who was a block away when this kid started shooting. You know what they see this this kid get access to a gun that he probably shouldn't have had access to, albeit. But but these these AR style rifles, the the M and P fifteen that 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 this kid used, you know, they're not being used to hunt deer. So, so why only because, only because we don't allow deer hunting with those with those style rifles in the state? Hang on. This is my AR that I use for coyote hunting. Mm -hmm. It's legal in Illinois. Still, yes. Okay. Uh, what... yeah, so, I mean, some people may not understand that. That is also a rifle I use in competition. It is the mm -hmm. Bill of Rights. It is not the Bill of Needs. And the problem is that just like Aurora, you had another failure of law enforcement. 
on this part to do what they should have done. And now they want to blame 2.5 million FOIA card holders or gun owners for the misdeeds of some blue hair maladjusted kid who was 21 years old, who probably never got told enough, no enough in his lifetime. And with all of that, uh, it is now that this goes back to like when the teacher used to sit there and spank or punish the entire classroom for the misdeeds of a couple. You know, why are the gun owners of this state being blamed for every criminal action and everything else that happens on the west side, the south side, or every depraved individual that goes on a rampage when we didn't do that? What about the the ban on switches? Does does that make sense to you? Well, full autos have been highly regulated since 1934. And the whole thing with Glock switches is that there was um, an airsoft company and the switches, the, the components were so interchangeable that they were legal for the airsoft guns. And anytime you have... Uh, you put a prohibition on something, you create a market for it, because when you tell people they can't have something, what do they do? They want it. You know, look at the illegal drug market that's out there. So with this, um, you know, switches, you know, full autos in the wrong hands are definitely a problem. And, you know, we've dealt with that regulation for since 1934 on the federal side. Switches are were illegal before this bill. The parts for them were illegal before this bill under state law. They're just more illegal now. The real question is, why is the Cook County state's attorney uh, charging those felonies under state statute as is? Are they incompetent or lazy? I, I, I want to get back to prosecutors in, in a minute. So so hold on to that thought. But but let me let me ask you about the, the registry part with the serial numbers this this seems to be the issue that that gun owners are most angry about at least from what from what i'm hearing that that they're being required to uh to to essentially register their gun with the state so that the state knows what they have um is is that a is that strictly a second amendment issue for you or do you believe it's a privacy issue what's what's your main beef here both you know uh every time registration has been used by the government it has been abused by the government look at look at illinois in 1982 i think it was jane byrne stopped the registration of handguns in the city of chicago she used a registration scheme and turned it into a gun ban. And that gun ban sat for 30 years until the Supreme Court finally overturned it in McDonald v. Chicago in 2010. You now have the governor of Connecticut publicly saying that he thinks they should confiscate every registered semi-auto under their assault weapons ban. Just like the governor signed last night, where you just want to know where these are. Why? I have a FOID card. I passed my background check. What effing business is it of yours what I own in my house? I don't ask what you do in your bedroom. Stay out of my house. 
And so it's a privacy issue. Why doesn't the governor just give us all his medical records and put them online? Um, That's the way we look at it. And it's a privacy issue. It's a two-way issue because it's never enough. Let's go back to this bill. They sat there and 18 months ago or whatever it was with House Bill 562 and the Floyd Modernization Act said they wanted to increase background checks and that that part, portion of the law was going to kick in January 1st, 2024. Last night, they upped that to July 1st of this year. It's never enough. You can't trust these guys. I wouldn't even call them a reptile because I don't want to disparage reptiles. It's never enough. And gun owners are waking up to that. And that's why we're pissed off. Because no matter how many background checks, FOIA cards, fingerprints, concealed carry licenses, it's never effing enough. And we're tired of it. Enough with it. We're the good guys. We're not the guys going out and shooting up Highland Park. It wasn't us. It was some blue-haired, depraved kid, you know, who's maladjusted for whatever. And we're being blamed for that. And yeah. We're upset about it. We're mad. We're pissed off. And enough is enough. And you are going to see massive noncompliance if this law stands. But I don't think it's going to stand. Heller was point blank to this. And, you know, they they don't like Heller. They didn't like McDonald. Uh, You know, I beat the city of Chicago in five separate lawsuits over their revised ordinances. It was my case that went up on challenging the prohibition on concealed carry in this state. And when I'm done working with the lawyers that I'm working with, we are going to force feed four Supreme Court decisions to the governor and the leaders of the General Assembly. And I'm going to I'm going to include a bottle of Tabasco with it. You know, we mentioned you mentioned the the noncompliance that was threatened by a lot of lawmakers yesterday and and uh you know the state rifle association essentially said we we don't want people to to break the law but i don't expect people to to follow this um why why would you all blatantly say i'm not going to follow the law i mean i why did rosa parks not give up her seat on the bus why did john lewis march through alabama I mean, you're willing to go to jail for it, essentially. Yes. Understand, you know, I spent over 18 years in the military. I raised my right hand and took an oath to the Constitution that these guys treat like toilet paper. I sat there and wrote a blank check that said to the last breath of my body or drop of my blood. Very few of these guys in the General Assembly have ever taken that oath with that blank check um so yeah i'm I'm willing to go to jail and you know what it just speeds up a court case because now it's a criminal matter you're gonna you're gonna and under this new safety law they can't put us all in jail you understand that what they wrote is so flipping ridiculous well, the safety act's not this, in this magazine, all right, that they don't like. It's a petty offense with a thousand dollar fine if I violate their law. 
So that's what a 30, 30 round magazine. Uh, it's more than 10. I'll tell you that. Okay. So fair enough. Is there a difference here though? I mean, I listen, a Glock 19, which is maybe what the most popular, popular yeah. handgun in the country is, is, is a stock 17, 17 round magazine. So that's, well, it, I mean, this is a Glock 19. It's empty. This is a 15 round gun factory, 15 rounds. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it's illegal under this law. This that gun, magazine. This, this gun. This gun is illegal under that law. Well, the magazine is the gun the, itself. Well, is the, under, the, the magazine. Well, the, there are semantics about the magazines that I'm not going to get into okay. just yet until we file our lawsuit. Till they see how screwed up what they wrote is, and I can't figure out if they're that mischievous in what they wrote or that stupid. All right. You, since we're talking handguns, um, I, I don't have the stats and I'm trying to find some, some legitimate numbers, but I've been talking to state's attorneys around the state. The majority of, of gun crimes in this state are, are, are done by handguns. Yes. Uh, and, and most of them already illegal, already possessed illegally. Um, or, or by someone who should legally not have a handgun. Um, the, the, and, and you can probably just go down the list of, of the shootings in Chicago every weekend uh, of these people who probably shouldn't or legally shouldn't have a, a handgun. Are, are we misdirecting? Is, is the legislature and the governor, are they misdirecting their angst about gun crimes to the obviously the the very emotional highland park issue when the real meat of the issue should be handguns and people who shouldn't have them well what i think it is i think they took a page out of Rahm Emanuel's playbook never let a good crisis go to waste i think that they don't like guns they don't like gun owners they don't understand this culture or this people um they want to live in their bubbles and they see what happens in the city and they project all their fears and everything else. And with that, they sit there and uh, they see all this and they don't like it because they can't control it. I think it's really their control freaks. They can't see, uh, you know, if they can't control it, it bothers them that they're, they're not in control of their surroundings and everything else that's going around them. So with that, they sit there and they want to control everything. And then when something like Highland Park happens and when the carnage escapes the south side or the west side and now comes into their little sandbox, they sit there and want to, you know, control it. And they finally, you know, you've seen the erosion of the Republican Party uh, through DuPage County and how the Democrats have taken over and they now have the numbers within the General Assembly to do what they want to do. Todd, before we let you go, uh, you, you're working with a group uh, separate from the, the uh, State Rifle Association that, that is planning a, um, a, a lawsuit on this. When do you expect that? And, and what's, the first, what's the first step? I assume you're asking for a stay. Uh, we will be in court 
next week would be my guess. Um, they pat, you know, they've been modifying this bill with what I don't know, five, six different variations of it over the last seventy-two hours. So it's like hitting a moving target. Um, I've been doing this for thirty years. It took me over eight hours to get through the five pages that deals with magazines to understand what they did and how bad this thing is. They attack concealed carry. They attack gun owners. They attack sales. They attack your right to acquire. They attack your right to build or modify a firearm. They attacked our privacy. Um, any single one of these subjects can be a lawsuit, but there's a lot to unpack here. I would wager to say you will see multiple lawsuits filed over the course of the next week. Todd Vandermeid, uh, former NRA lobbyist, uh, longtime uh, gun ad, gun rights advocate in the state. Uh, Todd, thanks for the time on short notice this morning since the governor signed the, the bill last night. And uh, as President Harmon said on the floor the other day, we'll see you in court. Oh, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. You know, he ought to charge me. I ought to be able to charge him for continuing legal education credits for the education he's going to get. All right. Thanks, Todd. Thanks to Todd Vandermeide for his time. I uh, appreciate his perspective. Uh, whether you agree or disagree, I, I think everybody deserves to be heard. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, we had Bob Morgan on a couple of months ago and got his side of, of the issue on, on assault rifles. And, and and I think Todd Vandermeide's perspective is is worthwhile as well. Uh, but as we mentioned, it's Inauguration Day uh, here in, in the state of Illinois for the legislature. The governor was sworn in on Monday, of course. Uh, and it was a really good reminder of the chaos here in Springfield two years ago when Mike Madigan was deposed as speaker uh, and uh, was replaced by Chris Welch, who is, of course, now the current speaker and will remain the speaker after this uh, uh, after this uh, legislature is sworn in today. We, we sat down with Ray Long this morning. He's a great political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, he uh, he had a great story in the the, the paper the other day, uh, kind of a TikTok of of what happened uh, in those final days of Madigan's tenure as Speaker. Uh, so we were happy to chat with Ray this morning. Pleased to be welcomed by Ray Long, the fantastic political reporter from the Chicago Tribune and our old friend. Uh, Ray had a great story over the weekend on kind of the TikTok of the old school TikTok, not the new TikTok, uh, <laughs> of how. Uh, of how Mike Madigan was deposed as speaker this week, two years ago, uh, since the House and Senate are being inaugurated at this hour. Uh, we, we figure it was a good time to uh, talk to Ray about how that happened and about uh, Chris Welch's first term as speaker. So, Ray, welcome. Um, Thank you, Patrick. Uh, let's, let's start with um, where we were all masked up and sequestered in the Bank of Springfield Center two years ago. Yeah, it was um, an am amazing scene there, Patrick. Uh, they had uh, the House meeting in the Springfield Convention Center, and all of the uh, people, as you said, were masked up, and uh, they had to hold their caucus meetings uh, in little rooms where they had to be spread out, but also... Uh, they were heated discussions because it was a time when Michael Madigan was trying to save his speakership. So there were 19 specific House Democrats that were essentially the the no Madigan ever crowd. Right. Um, they 
the the question all along was were they going to be able to hold out um, right what sure. tipped it in their favor well they just hung together uh, there were 73 Democrats in the in the caucus. Uh, this was to elect the person who would be speaker over the last two years. And those uh, uh, 19, mostly women, uh, decided that they had had enough with, with Madigan. He had already been identified in July 2020 as public official A in what was called a deferred prosecution agreement in which ComEd acknowledged that they had uh, showered a variety of Madigan's allies uh, with jobs and uh, interns, uh, a bundle of interns for his district. And they even uh, put on the ComEd board a director who Madigan had had uh, recommended. And of course, Patrick, this is a state regulated, federal regulated company. And so it just shows you how he had power. And they, uh, ComEd acknowledged that they did this because they wanted to uh, curry favor with Madigan. They wanted to make sure that he didn't uh, do anything to block the legislation that they wanted that was very lucrative uh, to ComEd's bottom line. So Madigan knew uh, that, that the votes weren't there. Uh, he he had no luck in, in pushing and persuading those 19. Uh, you, you tell the story about Chris Welch getting a phone call from a number he didn't recognize. Uh, right. how, how did it all break down? Right. Welch was walking into that convention center building, going to a session, a uh, legislative session. He sees this phone number he doesn't recognize, and he sees it's a 217 area code, which is the Springfield area code. And so he goes ahead and, and answers, thinking it must be a staffer with some kind of news about what was going on. And it indeed was the speaker. And, and uh, Welch recounted in an interview with me that the speaker said, I've been around a long time. I, I don't have the votes. And would you like to be speaker? And uh, uh, Madigan called a couple of other people, but he actually um, suggested to Welch how he could put the votes together first, go to the Black Caucus, Welch is African-American, uh, and there were 22 members in the Black Caucus. Madigan suggested that Welch uh, go to that caucus, seal down their votes, go to the Latino Caucus, and then the Downstate Caucus, and try to build momentum that way. And he eventually was able to do it, but he was in a battle with Jay Hoffman, a veteran of 27 years in the legislature. He's a downstater from just outside Metro East St. Louis on the Illinois side. And he um, put up a fight, but he, he pretty much stalled out around 15 votes. You needed 60. Welch uh, built up to about 55. And then uh, the caucus said, hey, why don't you guys go settle uh, outside the caucus room. And when they came back in, uh, Hoffman remained in a, a Democratic House, Democratic leadership job, and Welch had Hoffman's support. So uh, Welch uh, ended up getting about 70 votes uh, and needed 60, and he became the new Speaker of the House, the first Black Speaker of the House in the state's 
two centuries. Was there, were there, was this a gift or a reward from Madigan to Welch for kind of being the, the protector uh, of, of, of Madigan during that impeach or during that ethics inquiry in the house that, that Durkin brought up, you know, Republicans were very critical of, of then representative Welch uh, for, for essentially just trying to squash that investigation yeah, it's a, where did that come from? It's a great question. I mean, Republicans have believed that is uh, one reason that Welch uh, got uh, such a meteoric rise. Um, he w- had been in the legislature for eight years, but he had chaired that committee that you're talking about. Republicans, uh, led by Jim Durkin, who was the House Minority Leader, uh, decided uh, that the ComEd deferred prosecution uh, agreement showed so many uh, allegations about uh, the closeness between ComEd and Madigan that it should be explored further. Well, Welch didn't let the uh, exploration go too deep and, in fact, called off hearings uh, before the uh, election in in 2020 so that uh, they didn't come to a conclusion and never did come to a conclusion uh, even after the election. But he certainly uh, blocked uh, the uh, investigation from going very deep into Madigan. And uh, that really raised his uh, his, uh, uh, cred, I guess, with the House Democrats and in particular Madigan, and uh, that set him up for this uh, rise in speakership. He had, of course, been a rising star at the time uh, because he had been uh, well, well, he'd done a good job at at establishing himself well, uh, but uh, still, he came out of nowhere. He emerged out of nowhere in the in the end and uh really rose fast sorry about that and uh really rose fast sorry about that Tell grab it. that if you need to it's fine yeah um so you can grab it if you need to it's fine okay. we, since we're taping we can um okay sorry no problem where um how how was welch able to bring everyone together in that moment because you know obviously the black caucus he he was part of but it was it was still a relatively fractured group uh leading into that that decision because you had a bunch that were still with Madigan you had a couple like Maurice West who uh who had who had bucked Madigan the Latino caucus wanted a, a member of their 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 group a downstaters wanted a downstater how was Welch able to to bring everybody together that quickly? Well, uh, in fact, when he went to the uh, Black Caucus the first time, they didn't believe that uh, it was real, that Madigan had done what he had said was a suspension of his campaign. And that suspension was something that everybody was trying to figure out what that meant. And in fact, uh, Welch did not get the endorsement of the Black Caucus in, in a meeting right off the bat when he talked to him about his conversation with Madigan, they didn't think it was real. And as Welch told me, they wouldn't have anything of it. Uh, and uh, he, 
that first meeting didn't go so well. But 12 hours later, information flowing around uh, the house can get around pretty fast. And they, uh, the Black Caucus had changed their opinion on what Madigan was trying to do. And they solidified behind Welch. Welch went to the Latino caucus. They also <laughs> begin to think it wasn't real, but he uh, was able to bring them around uh, within a, a few hours of the next day. And uh, then uh, downstaters too. And eventually he just kept chipping away. And this all happened in like 48 hours. There was even a, a, a moment there, Patrick, where uh, I had written a story and posted it about Welch's past uh, alleged mm -hmm. treatment of women. He was accused at one point uh, in a police report of, of, uh, of uh, banging uh, the head of one uh, ex-girlfriend onto a kitchen counter and police were called and the issue, incident was written up back in 2002. And uh, he had also been uh, accused in a federal lawsuit of uh, basically retaliation uh, when uh, he broke up with a, a woman who worked for Proviso uh, Township High School District where he was the uh, president of the board. But he was able to convince a group of, of women who uh, gathered with him in a very emotional, intense setting that uh, this uh, was something that he gave them answers as the women told me that they were comfortable with what he had to say. Uh, there was one uh, lawmaker who told me that it also came down to a he said, she said matter. And so uh, they went ahead and threw their support behind Welch too. But it was a touch and go moment for uh, this large group of women in the House Democratic Caucus. But once all these uh, issues had come to, together and all of the uh, uh, different caucuses formed around him, they were ready to do it. They wanted to go in to the official new General Assembly with their votes together and not have some kind of scattered, drawn out public debate in front of everybody like they did in Washington with the Republican uh, nomination and eventual ascension of uh, Kevin McCarthy as U.S. House Speaker. And and that even pales in comparison to, was it 75, where there were 95 ballots or something for Speaker? Yeah. I mean, we were all doing our our history lessons thinking that it might, be, that Madigan may just try to wait it out. But yeah, before yeah. we let you... Before we let you go, Ray, uh, there's a new filing in the ComEd criminal case that involves right. Mike Madigan. Uh, fill us in on that. What's going on and how does it impact Madigan? Well, uh, this uh, is related to the March 6th trial of a longtime Madigan confidant, Michael McLean, uh, the former CEO of ComEd, Ann Promajori, and a couple of other lobbyists for, for ComEd. And... Uh, it is revealing in that it tells that there will be a variety of people who will be testifying to explain the various schemes and various favors that ComEd uh, did uh, for Madigan to try to sway him to favor their legislation or curry favor with him, or even just to prevent him from getting angry and blocking their legislation. If, uh, 
they didn't put some of his allies on the ComEd payroll. So it's an extraordinary filing. It came in with about 125 pages late, late, late on uh, Tuesday night. And uh, we're still digging through some of that, but uh, there's going to be many more stories to come. I had a late night with the General Assembly. You had a late night with the court filing. We're both sleep deprived and need more coffee. And I appreciate you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking the time, Ray. I pre- uh, you're the best. Thank you, Patrick. Good to see you. All right. Thanks to Ray Long. Thanks to Todd Vandermeid. Thank you for listening uh, and, and watching uh, as you're you're joining us on our, our weekly podcast. Uh, always send us your thoughts, mailbag at theillinois.com. Uh, we'd love to to hear from you, know what's on your mind, topics you'd like to talk about. Uh, we are always open to discussion about anything because I, I like free and open and honest discussion about topics with all sides, Republicans, Democrats, or somewhere in between. Uh, follow our stuff at theillinois.com uh, and uh, follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for The Illinois and you'll find us. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for, for watching. Thanks so much for being a reader and a supporter. Uh, we really do appreciate it, and it's what keeps us going. Thanks so much for, for joining us, and have a great week, everybody.